You're listening to the Women's Health Cast, a podcast from the University of Wisconsin Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. I'm Jackie Askins. With this podcast, I'm exploring issues and innovations around women's health with a little help from experts in the UW Department of OBGYN and beyond. Women will spend one-third to half of their lives in menopause, a life stage with kind of a bad reputation. Hot flashes, night sweats, low bone density, changes in sexual health. It all sounds kind of rough, but it doesn't have to be, according to McCabe Williams. Dr. Williams is a certified menopause practitioner. We talked about how to recognize menopause, hormone therapy, and other treatment options, and why she encourages patients to think of menopause as an opportunity to reset their health. I am really excited today to learn more about menopause from Dr. McCabe Williams. So you are the director of our academic specialists in OBGYN division. You are also a North American Menopause Society certified menopause practitioner, which is super cool. I was wondering what interested you in menopause care? So my interest in taking care of midlife and menopausal women stems back to when I was in medical school. I had a rotation in the early 2000s, right about the time that the Women's Health Initiative studies were being released. And the preceptor with whom I was working had been in practice for probably about 20 years at the time. And so he was taking care of a lot of women who were coming in unsure of what to do with this newly released data, how they should treat their hot flashes and night sweats, as well as the bleeding changes that were associated with going through menopause. And there was a lot of uncertainty about data, and yet I found that the physiology and the science behind menopause stimulated my interest at that point. And then fast forward at the end of residency, I took my first faculty position, and I joined a department where one of the senior partners was retiring after 30 years in practice. And suddenly I was flooded by a number of 50- and 45-year-old women who were also seeking care. And one of those women said to me, I'm going to give you a shot at being my doctor, but I don't want to be lost amongst all of the pregnant OB patients in your waiting room. Can you provide care for me? And I felt like the challenge, the gauntlet had been laid down um, for me to seek evidence-based ways to take care of these women to make sure that their unique health needs were being met. So I'm very interested in learning more about some of the unique health concerns having to do with menopause, um, but I'm wondering if we can uh, kind of get back to the most basic level of what what is menopause? Sure. Good question, Jackie. So menopause represents the cessation of ovarian function. The ovaries are the greatest source of estrogen, which is a powerful physiologic regulator of many processes within the body. We diagnose menopause on average at age 51, and that is after a woman has gone one full year with no menstrual cycles. Women will begin a transition to menopause on average at age 45, and it is during this time where we may see abnormal patterns in bleeding. The menstrual cycles may become heavier, erratic, irregular in their frequency uh, and timing, as, as well as the duration of the overall menstrual cycle. So I will hear women say that I've gone three months without a menstrual cycle, or my periods used to be four days, and now they're five to ten days. We also see during this time period where women are making this transition through what we call perimenopause, 
women may get those very intense hot flashes and they may get night sweats. They also notice themselves um, at times becoming a, a bit more moody or irritable. But so in its most simplistic definition, it is when a woman has gone through one full year without menstrual cycles, and then we give that diagnosis of menopause. So I wanted to ask about the the signs that you just described. You talked about um, irregular menstrual cycles, irregular bleeding, hot flashes, night sweats, sort of heightened emotions. Are there other symptoms to look out for? Those are the hallmark signs, and I will say it is important when we do note changes in the menstrual cycle that we don't just dismiss them as menopause because there are, um, in our field of gynecology, we know that there are many other causes of irregular or abnormal bleeding. So when you do notice a change, we do encourage women to come in to get an evaluation so that we can sort out maybe other structural abnormalities to the uterus or precancer cancers of the cervix of the uh, lining of the uterus that could contribute to irregular bleeding. So while more than likely it is a menopausal change, if you are falling within that 45 to 55-year-old age range, we do want to make sure that we aren't overlooking other important diagnoses. I know you have a clinic specifically dedicated to the care of midlife women. Why would patients come see you there? What um, kinds of concerns or questions do they bring to you in the menopause clinic? So in our UW Health menopause clinic, we see uh, patients who have menopause, menopause-related symptoms who may have found difficulty in having those symptoms addressed. Many of our patients have other health conditions. Perhaps they are survivors of breast cancer or gynecologic cancers, or they have other comorbidities such as cardiovascular disease, migraines, um, history of stroke, or other medical conditions which might make it more challenging to address their basic menopausal symptoms. We are able to collaborate with um, specialists across the UW health system to give shared care to those patients and address their complex health needs. So I'm curious about how menopause affects the whole body. So I feel like my whole life, my mom has been telling me to you know, get lots of calcium to prevent osteoporosis because menopause can cause these changes in your bones. And I know it also affects your cardiovascular system, your mental health, your sleep. Uh, can you tell me more about sort of the whole body effects? So estrogen, which again is secreted in large amounts from the ovaries, is a very powerful hormone. There are estrogen receptors throughout the body. The bone is a large a site of those receptors, and estrogen does help to regulate bone formation and bone loss. So with the loss of estrogen, the bone degradation cells are much more active. That is accelerated when estrogen is no longer there to help with those cells that build bones. And so women who are menopausal at are at increased risk of developing osteopenia, which is a less dense bone, or osteoporosis. That puts those women at increased risk for fracture of those bones. So your mom is right. You do need to drink your milk and make sure that you're getting enough dietary sources of calcium so that you can preserve what bone mass is there. 
Estrogen is also found in the skin, um, so women may notice that their skin gets drier um, as they transi transition through menopause. The other source of um, an abundance of estrogen receptors would be the vaginal tissues and those tissues around the uh, vulva and the vaginal area. So over time, with the loss of estrogen, the tissue in the vagina can become much more thin and fragile, um, and that can make just general um, functioning, um, sexual function, uncomfortable. And many of those women will experience just a dryness and irritation overall. Estrogen is also thought to be a um, mood stabilizer and that it may help with those neurotransmitters in our brain like dopamine and norepinephrine, those that help regulate our mood. It may mediate those pathways. And so we see as women go through the menopausal transition, maybe some of them will experience some mood instability anxiety, irritability, and depression. And so there are no studies that really show that giving estrogen is uh, effective for depression in menopausal women. We do know that this period could be a critical um, time where depression and other mood disorders may be revealed. And um, we shouldn't leave out the cardiovascular system. We do know that estrogen helps with vascular flow and blood vessel generation, and there are studies that show estrogen um, is powerful to preserve cardiovascular function. And so in our patients who are menopausal, who um, have hot flashes and night sweats, giving estrogen within the first 10 years of menopause may actually provide some protection to the cardiovascular system. So menopause can have great impact throughout the entire body um, because estrogen has uh, a very potent <laughs> uh, role throughout the body. Okay, what about hormone therapy as a treatment option? Um, I know recommendations for hormone therapy, they've changed a lot over the years and they kind of go back and forth. So I guess I'd like to know what is hormone therapy and what are the current recommendations? So as you uh, mentioned, the pendulum has swung many uh, times over the years. And there, as I said, you know, I came to have an interest in menopause right at that time where there was this sentinel study called the Women's Health Initiative. Um, it was a large randomized control trial of about 27,000 women. And that study was looking at the effects of estrogen in prevention of cardiovascular disease and cancer. We were not looking at whether or not estrogen or hormone therapy should have a role in treating menopausal symptoms. As a result of that study, there was an increased risk of breast cancer and cardiovascular disease in women who were using a specific type of hormone, and that was conjugated equine estrogen and medroxyprogesterone acetate. The more common name for that would be PrimPro. In the other arm in the study, we were using just con conjugated equine estrogen or Primarin. As a result of those studies, the use of hormone therapy declined significantly. So physicians and patients stopped using hormone therapy. And there was a lot of fear about would hormone therapy give a woman cancer? Would it cause them to have strokes and heart attacks? 
Well, we've learned a lot in the 18 years since those studies were initially published. And what we have learned is that there are four indications for hormone therapy. Estrogen and progesterone can be given safely for the treatment of hot flashes and night sweats. We call those vasomotor symptoms. It can also be used for those genitourinary symptoms that I mentioned, so the vulvovaginal dryness, what we used to term vulvovaginal atrophy. There is also a role for hormone therapy in the treatment of women who undergo a premature menopause. Those women who have had surgery before a natural menopause or those women who are menopausal because they've had radiation or chemotherapy or whose, women whose ovaries have just stopped working properly at a young age. And lastly, there is a role for hormone therapy in the prevention of osteoporosis. Hormone therapy comes in a variety of formulations. So while the Women's Health Initiative studied only conjugated equine estrogen and medroxyprogesterone acetate in an oral form, today we have um, estradiol, so 17-beta-estradiol, which is a bioidentical hormone much like what the ovaries would naturally produce. And that these formulations come in oral formulations, and we have transdermal formulations, patches that can be applied to the skin, creams and gels and emulsions. We actually also have a vaginal ring, which slowly secretes estrogen over a 90-day period of time. So with those different formulations comes different risk. So where we are in 2018 and beyond, we're able to figure out what a woman's risk is when it comes to hormone therapy and try to tailor the therapy that will best address her symptoms as indicated. So for people for whom... um hormone replacement therapy is not indicated. And I'm, I guess I'm thinking a little bit of maybe um, estrogen-responsive breast cancers or things like that. What sort of um, treatments or help with perimenopause symptoms are available for them? Great question, Jackie. There are some contraindications to hormone therapy. And those women who have had an estrogen-sensitive breast cancer or a gynecologic cancer, women who have a history of a personal history of stroke or um, heart attack, women who have an inherited uh, risk of having a blood clot in the lung or in their legs, um, would not be great candidates for hormone therapy. And then you have women who are just too, um, maybe uh, they're, they're cautious and concerned about risk associated with hormone therapy. We have many effective non-hormonal therapies. Paxil or paroxetine sulfate um, is an FDA-approved prescription non-hormonal therapy that has been shown to be quite effective to reduce the frequency and severity of vasomotor symptoms. There are also other um, what we call SSRIs or SNRIs, so in a class of medication that are that are used to treat depression that have been found to be effective. Um, gabapentin or 
what we might um, call Neurontin also has shown benefit. So the important thing is to know that there are options. There are many of them. I could list, uh, I could go on and on listing them. Um, I would say it's important for women to follow up with their providers to figure out is hormone therapy right for them or what about you know, the possibility of using non-hormonal therapies. I get asked the question quite often, what about, say, yoga or black hohosh or other herbal medications? There isn't great evidence to support herbal therapies for um, the treatment of vasomotor symptoms and menopause. And while I encourage all of my patients to undergo healthy lifestyle changes as they are transitioning through menopause, it is important to know that many of those therapies will not actually treat effectively menopausal symptoms. So you mentioned yoga, and I wanted to ask about exercise as a way to help you know, preserve bone strength and muscle tone. Um, so in addition to making sure that we get enough calcium and vitamin D, uh, what role does weight-bearing exercise play in bone health after menopause? So what I would say, Jackie, women will spend a third to a half of their lives in menopause. So when we think about that, and we think about quality of life and how we can optimize health. We want to throw everything at um, keeping our bones strong and help and leading women to lead a healthy life. So we spend a fair amount of time in our menopause clinic educating women about the behavioral and lifestyle changes they can make to help them thrive. There is a role for exercise and there's a role for diet. And we do know when it comes to treating osteoporosis and osteopenia or bone loss that calcium intake, vitamin D intake, and performing those weight-bearing exercise really does make a difference to help preserve the bone mass. As a woman goes through menopause, we will also see overall a decrease in muscle mass. So exercising is critically important. Many of our patients will complain of the development of a, a bit of a muffin top, if you will. And if you continued to eat at the same amount of calories, but you didn't increase your exercise, there would be a net increase in weight. So we talk about that with our patient in the role of nutrition and making sure that you're considering your caloric intake, what that composition is like, and also exercise so that we can help maintain a healthy weight, which um, you know, obesity does contribute. So here we are in menopause where, you know, we've talked about decreased estrogen levels. There is just natural aging that comes that elevates cardiovascular risk. So we want to be thoughtful and mindful about all of the different things that we can do to preserve our different bodies, uh, bodily sy systems um, that can help us thrive and maintain a healthy menopausal status. I want to circle back to something you, you mentioned about um, changes in sexual health. So changes in, in vaginal tissue, that can be really, really challenging. And what uh, what do you recommend? What's How do we help mitigate this, I guess? I'm glad you ask. <laughs> and um, I'm glad you ask because 50% of menopausal women will experience changes to their vaginal tissue. And 90% of those women will not seek treatment. 
I'm also glad you asked because what we know from the evidence is that many healthcare providers won't bring it up. And so then we have half of all menopausal women who are affected suffering in silence. So as I said, menopause on average is diagnosed at age 51. And what we know is that about three years later, women are going to begin to to experience vaginal dryness. The wrinkles in the vagina that help with elasticity and pliability will begin to flatten out. And so for those patients who are sexually active, intercourse can become much more difficult and painful. And those changes can impact a woman's quality of life. Fortunately, once we recognize that there is an issue, we are able to recommend a number of therapies. So first and foremost, I would encourage every listener to ask their doctor about an evaluation and talk to them about any symptoms that they may be having. So education is the very first step in addressing these issues. And from a provider standpoint, it is bringing it up to women to give them some guidance in what they might anticipate even before these changes. In terms of therapy, first-line therapy would be giving um, vaginal moisturizers. So many midlife women are considering that the changes in their face and they may go out and get different um facial moisturizers and serums to help stave off wrinkles. Well, we're trying to maintain those wrinkles in the vagina. So um, using a vaginal moisturizer can help with retaining water and the moisture content of the vagina. So I often tell my patients, when you think about putting your serums and your moisturizers on your face, think about applying a vaginal moisturizer two to three times a week. For patients who are sexually active, um, using a lubricant, either a water-based lubricant or a silicone lubricant, there are many on the market, immediately prior to intercourse. So my question was going to be, what is the difference between a a moisturizer that you would use two or three times a week and a, a lubricant that would be used during sex. How are those different? So lubricants are going to be used episodically. The moisturizer needs to be thought of just routine maintenance. So just as you would brush your teeth or apply lotion or a moisturizer to your skin, you want to do that for your vagina. So a lubricant could be used immediately before a sexual act or intercourse. It is important when we consider what lubricant or moisturizer that is selected over the counter that we are paying attention to the pH of the lubricant um, because the vaginal pH acid-base balance will change. We recommend staying away from those um, scented, stimulating um, moisturizers or lubricant. And, you know, often just selecting a a simple water-based lubricant is sufficient um, to to apply that needed moisture right in in the moment and not cause further tissue damage. So um, when we have moved on beyond um, moisturizers and lubricants, we look at estrogen therapy 
estrogen applied locally to the vagina is going to be the most effective treatment for the genitourinary symptoms associated with menopause. And that is because those underlying changes to that tissue are caused by estrogen deficiency. And when we give it back to that tissue, we will see an increase in blood supply and blood flow, which will bring um, back that needed lubrication and moisture. It will also correct the pH imbalance in the vagina and decrease the risk of urinary tract infections, which are more frequent in, in menopausal women. As well, it can decrease vaginal infections. Vaginal estrogen therapy can be given in the form of a ring. So we have a ring that's formulated specifically for vaginal symptoms that slowly releases the estrogen over a 90-day period of time. We also have uh, tablets that are specifically formulated for the vagina and a couple of creams that can be applied to the vagina. We've actually made some progress um, as it relates to treating the vaginal symptoms associated with menopause. We have a, two newer therapies. One is a product that is a DHEA, which is a different kind of hormone that is converted to estrogen within cells. And that was just approved by the FDA a couple years ago, and that can be applied nightly to help with those symptoms. And then there is an oral tablet that we can give specifically for these vaginal complaints and symptoms. It is not an estrogen. It is an estrogen-like um, medicine that it hits those estrogen receptors. And I find that that particular um, drug, it's called ospimifem, is um, particularly helpful for my patients who are uncomfortable placing a therapy in the vagina or perhaps they have arthritis and have difficulty. What do you wish more people knew about perimenopause symptoms? And I guess, do you have you know, any advice for someone who's not sure whether her symptoms warrant talking to her doctor? So what do I wish women knew? I think that menopause has gotten a bad rap over the years. And what I wish women appreciated more is that menopause is a physiologic normal event, much like puberty and the you know, onset or beginning of a menstrual cycle, reproductive cycles, are it's normal. So uh, we've normalized that for teenage girls. And I would like for women to know that what you're going through is normal. Um, it's not the end of the road. It's um, not a time to despair. But because you are going to live so much of your life in menopause, that this is uh, a time for you to be reflective, time to hit a reset button, and get. this is an opportunity for you to optimize your health. And I encourage women to have a conversation even before they approach their mid-40s. Have a conversation with their healthcare provider so that they can find out more information about what they can expect down the road and begin a conversation of prevention and what you might be able to do to help optimize your health. And lastly, I would say um, women need to know 
that you don't have to suffer with these symptoms. And there are many treatment options available, both hormonal and non-hormonal, to address what you are going through. Dr. Williams, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Jackie. After recording, Dr. Williams and I realized we wanted to add one quick note about OBGYN checkups after menopause. Even though menopause means the end of your menstrual cycle, regular well woman screenings are still incredibly important. These visits are highly recommended to assess overall gynecologic health, screen for pelvic floor disorders or gynecologic cancers, and refer people when needed to specialty care. On the next Women's HealthCast, we're going to come at birth control from a different angle. We've talked a lot about how birth control works and the wide variety of methods available, so check out our two-part All About Birth Control series with Dr. Liza Bennett for that. But next time, we'll hear from Dr. Jenny Higgins about one aspect of contraceptive choice she doesn't think gets enough coverage. How does birth control affect our sex lives? Listen in December to hear Dr. Higgins talk about the pleasure deficit in advertising, discussing, and choosing birth control. Women's HealthCast is a production of the University of Wisconsin-Madison Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. This episode was produced and engineered by Rob Garza. You can subscribe to Women's HealthCast on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WISCOBGYN. Please let us know how we're doing. Rate and review us on your podcast app, and let us know what women's health issues you would like to learn more about. Thanks for listening.